Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at the Eisner-nominated MultiversityComics.com. Every week we take about 15 minutes to check out books hitting the shelves on Wednesday that we're most looking forward to. We also have long-form discussions about books we're excited for, both old and new. These episodes have included works like Jaime Hernandez's Love Bunglers and Katsuhiro Otomo's epic Akira. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the people we've had on the show have been Tom Scioli, Paul Pope, Leila Del Duca, and John Workman. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comics-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Yeah, she used to live in Vancouver and had the radio show and then um, left, went to Montreal, and that's when I started doing studs because there was a slot in the station. Cool. And jumped in, and here we are nine years later. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. We've been doing it a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's jump into it then. Yeah, sure. Um, you're listening, Studs, and my guest this week is George Weber. Um, one of my guests, I think I've played two shows this week, so it's a fancy week. It's summertime. What, what are we going to do? Uh, Georgia is in town. We're actually sitting in my office. It's a rare in-person, in-office interview. So weird to say in office. Does it feel very officey here? It's more of an office than where I work. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> we have like a, a room with this uh, blinds that go up and down with a flick of a light switch, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so Georgia's in town. You're doing an event on Wednesday at Floating World, Wednesday, July 30th, and then August 8th. Uh, August 8th at the old Lucky's um, mm-hmm. and the Floating World you're going to have some other folks there as well. Yeah, actually the Floating World event is uh, a bit of a test for me to try out a new thing. Um, the Silent Reading series. I do intend for it to be a series. I really want to see how other artists handle the same subject, the same uh, challenge that I do when I present my work. <clears throat> So Virginia Payne and Lucy Bellwood are going to join me in giving silent presentations of our work. And we're actually asking people to come to the event to leave their voices at the door and take some writing utensils and things to, to communicate with each other for the beginning of it. And then by the end, we'll, tr- we'll bring people together and have everyone talk about that experience as a part of the event itself. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And if it goes well, or even if it goes badly, I'd like to try it again. <laughs> Uh, and then, in fact, I have a, a signing at the Fantagraphics Bookstore on August 6th in Seattle. Okay. That's my, like, second jaunt down to the States on this trip. Um, and then back here for the, the event at Lucky's on the 8th. <laughs> yeah. You got your passport, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's up to date and everything, so. You'll have fun. I believe it. Yeah. I'm excited. Now, maybe to contextualize why you would be doing um, a silent reading, I... Now, I'm only really familiar with this as your comic, Dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have other work? Not really. No? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do many things in my life, yes. But comics-wise, uh, I had sort of discovered them and got very excited about them um, just out of high school. Like, in fact, in high school was when I discovered my love for comics and did a little bit and then just jumped right into um, getting other people to do it. That was, like, my real first big project was uh, a zine called Ganglion, which no one could pronounce properly, and I don't even remember why we decided on that name, but 
Um, that was anthology style, and it was really me trying to like encourage people to get comfortable with the process and be supportive of one another experiencing that. Um, and did that for a couple of years, totally neglecting my own comics practice, like just, just stop making things because I was helping other people make things and putting together the books and doing the publicity and like publishing the things. So it was a big long break between finishing doing that, uh, you know, jumping into other things, writing literature, publishing, and then, and then two years ago, uh, realizing that I had been neglecting this so badly that now it wasn't possible to neglect it anymore. And then shortly after the injury gave me an opportunity to, to jump back in. Now the injury, um, that was 2011? 12. 12. Um, that was, for folks that don't know who you are, maybe let's... Most people. <laughs> <laughs> for most people who don't know who I am. Yeah. yeah um, that was a severe throat injury. Uh, um, yeah, and I'm going to... Uh, it's unfortunately very unsatisfying to discover that what happened to me is still really unclear in the sense that, um, you know, I went to the doctor after several months of increasing pain. Um, at first it was like, you know, I, I went to TGAF, I had a great time, had a sore throat after, you think a couple days I'm going to feel better again, it's fine. Uh, you get that like sexy raspy voice and you're just like, well, I can live with this, like day or two, no problem. And then uh, just found that that pain didn't ever fully heal and then got worse as I spoke more uh, until it hurt constantly even when I wasn't speaking and to such a degree that I just had to go to a doctor, go to a specialist and say, like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I can't live my life. Um, so, I mean, he, he took a, a scope and looked at my throat and everything looked perfect. I don't have the typical vocal injuries that people find they get from doing things like singing or a lot of, um, yeah, like loud projection. Um, I don't have any nodules. I don't have any irregularities physically, but I do experience a great amount of pain from speaking for too long or too loudly, um, which at first I, I had to just stop talking altogether for several months. Um, always just praying like another two weeks, another month, another two weeks, it'll be better. And, you know, have actually experienced over two years, just slowly building up to the place where I can speak for like an hour or two in a quiet environment um, before the pain sets in. And then I do have to stop again and go on rest and come back when I'm feeling better. Coming to town and doing a bit of a tour, um, it sounds like it's a challenge. Vocally? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not much more of a challenge than regular life um, for for me, just the way that I would choose to live. I'm really gregarious. I love talking to people and meeting new people. I'm very comfortable speaking publicly, but um, <clears throat> it's the same kind of challenge as at home where, like, at any given moment I have to check in with myself and how does this feel right now? Um, do I need something? Do I need to do some exercises, drink more water? Um, sometimes tea is helpful. Other times it's no different than yeah. anything else. And uh, and choosing my moments, choosing my moments when I am okay with being in pain for a little longer for whatever the social situation calls for. Is it or worth it? When I have to, exactly, when I have to conserve. So, um, A big part of it sounds like <clears throat> reading reading the comics like you had to kind of readjust um how you navigated life um, and tell a bit about that process of like 
going from being a pretty curious, talkative person we chatted for a bit before we even started recording. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully it wasn't too much. No. <laughs> I <want you> know. <laughs> um, but that change in like how you um, kind of engaged daily life and from what I was saying, you tried to stay engaging as much as you could. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm not, I mean, luckily this happened to me during a period where I found a great deal of, um, of like calm and perspective. Like even, even though I was in pain all the time, uh, you know, I was still just feeling quite centered in myself during that period. And so when this happened, it wasn't as much of a blow as I think it would have been if it had happened a year before or two years before that, when I was just going through a rougher patch and something like that would have felt more devastating. Um, So I was doing pretty well and, you know, uh, found the news to be upsetting in a way that I was like, I have to change who I am. Like, I don't get a choice right now because the pain is already changing me. And so if I want to be the person I know myself to be and be open to people and and communicating with them and engaging them all the time. Um, I really have to let go of this thing in order to hopefully get it back later. Mm -hmm. But it's that real like faith of just like, it'll come back and I'll still be okay without it in the meantime. Um, So yeah, it was like a couple of days of being really upset about it, but knowing that I was just going to have to, you know, snap back and figure out how to be myself. Um, my insistence to continue engaging with people, I think really kind of saved me there too. Cause if I hadn't insisted on continuing to engage with people, it would have been a really true isolation, yeah. um, which I've discovered through, uh, through the ways in which that has become a part of my experience of this injury, um, how damaging that is that, you know, you're only ever as alone as you feel and, um, given that it was in a supportive community, a very, very supportive community, my efforts to engage gave people hopefully less of a sense of obligation around dealing with me and more of a continued excitement about it. And I definitely felt that. I felt like that worked out. Um, and when I did start to withdraw, um, as it you will see in the coming comics, um, you know, I had a great attitude at the beginning and it just kind of wore me down over time or I wore myself down just with this desire to get away from it as opposed to being accepting of it the entire time. Like, that um, that took a bit of a toll on, on how people interacted with me, just, you know, not knowing what to do or how or, or why anything had changed anyway because I seemed to be so good for so long and then they were, like, I don't know, confused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's, like, when it's totally out of your control, mm-hmm. that like that or is frustration it? is it out of your control? Like that was my that is one of my biggest problems with this injury is that the the diagnosis that was delivered to me was just you're a vocal abuser. That's who you are. That's your behavior caused this, which is so fucked up. Exactly. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate you saying that because saying that to people like I am a person who talks a lot, and I was known before like during this time and before as someone who speaks a lot I you know and and loudly like I love I love like just fully falling into a laugh like just not holding anything back and speaking with people um being aware of how much my voice and the way that I'm using it is connecting or disconnecting from them like I'm I'm just a hyper self-aware person anyway but but have always been really interested in specifically um expressing 
vocally as much as possible. So when I started telling people that I had this injury, there were some who rightfully, I guess, just laughed out loud. Like, it's just, it was like, oh my God, of course. Like, we all knew that already, that you talk so much. But then, you know, no one laughed without feeling bad about it, obviously. And I was really feeling fine. So I was okay with people laughing. I was like, I know, it's ridiculous. It, you know, you thought I talked a lot before and now medically I have been told I talk too much. <laughs> like, that's that's what this says. But um, But ultimately, the way in which that gave me responsibility for it and uh and then the ways in which I was relying on other people for certain things like you know I went on welfare because I couldn't work um and I mean the work that I probably could have done I applied for and found a, like no success with so had this strong sense of like I'm relying on other people for my financial survival so I feel like I owe them something mm. and I feel like what I owe them is to get better um, instead of feeling like I have an injury and I need to get better so that I'm not in pain and for myself to return to the world in a way that I'm happy with. Like it had less to do with me just because it was sort of this finger pointing down being like, you did this, so you need to fix it. And months and weeks going by without it being fixed, despite the efforts that I'd made, which yeah. was to say like, well, I'm just going to give up talking altogether. Like giving up talking was not enough. And that is a huge feeling of just yeah. like what I'm doing as drastic as it is, like is not enough to get better. So, I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of this that I, I will grapple with like through comics as best I can. And I do have some theories about exactly what was going on there, but it's far from, it's such sort a, of rigid medical science. It's such a powerlessness. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm and I'm trying to I'm trying to express that um, and help people appreciate how much power they have when they yeah. use their voices. Um, one of the things you do in the comic um, is you do your little uh, Julie Doucet homage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking about that um, right away. Like, oh look, little Julie. <laughs> Put a little French there. Um, <laughs> but the it, the interesting thing I was thinking about that is um, the idea of voicelessness and putting Julie in there um, because she's someone who's um, who hasn't really had a voice in the dialogue of comics. Her work speaks pretty loudly and has a pretty profound impact um i can't really think of many cartoonists who can't say they haven't been touched by her mm -hmm. her on a bio stuff um but the choice of doing that julie thing i'm really curious about yeah i um that was directly uh, it, it ties into so many things in that book and actually i think if if someone were to ask me what my favorite of the comics that i've made so far is um it's that's one of them that comes quickly to mind because I was working with so many different things that I feel like if I just say them out in a list, it uh, it sounds like it would be very polarizing. Like it's yeah. this sort of um, feminist rant questioning, like a little bit meta going to like, I'm drawing at the end. So I'm like drawing the comic that you're reading, like, you know, looking at it that way and having like, myself naked in there was a bit of a thing for me to try and figure out if I felt like it was 
necessary or important and why I wanted to do that and like, uh, you know, work through all of those things. Um, and then, you know, yeah, having like a, a sort of negative experience with someone at the end of it at like a crazy party. Like, I don't know, it just, it kind of sounds like a terrible thing to read to me. Um, but I tried to do it as sincerely as possible, which made it a very, a very specific and difficult challenge. And I want things to be challenging. So I'm really happy with it. But Julie's story ties into it on several levels in that when I first discovered comics, um, it was someone handing me a Julie Doucet comic that opened my mind to like, whoa, this could be anything. Like I've seen comics and I thought I knew what they were, but now that I've seen that this exists, I can only imagine from there where else it could go. And this is, you know, just blew my world open a little bit. So uh, it was directly like in making this comic, this one thing that I feel so strongly about, um, I want to, I want to nod in every direction. I want to nod in the directions of all the people who have really brought me here. Um, so there's, I've got like a little list that I'm working with and it's just, I want to work these people in in ways that are natural and I can see that ahead of time. Like, yeah, this is going to make sense here. And Julie's story made extra sense here because she has left comics due to the overwhelming male presence, how unwelcoming it was to her when she was making them. Um, and feels very strongly that like she wants to see more women doing this kind of thing and having as strong a voice as she did. Um, so coming at this feminist question when I was deciding to wear lipstick as a code for being silent, like it really just, I don't know if it was ever that much of a real question posed to me by the world. It was more just my, um, my impression of myself when I, you know, put lipstick on and I dress sometimes very femininely, not always. And that's actually changed a lot since that time, but I was wearing like a lot of skirts and dresses and very high-waisted kind of, um, fifties looking things. Mm -hmm. So then putting lipstick on was like, oh, I feel like I'm stepping out of that generation just a little and and presenting this like made up silent hyper feminine lady um am I okay with that like that that's all that was it wasn't that people were like telling me that that was an issue I just had to question myself in that way so so yeah it was coming to like being comfortable with that deciding how it was powerful in its own way how doing whatever I need to do for myself is an extremely feminist act regardless of how it looks to other people, yeah. um, that that was all very important. And breaking into collage to do that is, again, just a Julie thing where like she turned to collage after comics and poetry after comics and these things that she's now just masterfully good at, um, where I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I've never, literally never done a collage before, but I'm just going to do this because it's the most poignant way to bring into, into the comic not only her, but my sort of vague notions and questions and the confusion that was in my own mind. Like, I don't know how else to represent that. So try something totally new. The neat thing about her collages is that it's like, I see them being so much more personal in a way or, or like more resolved. More than the comics. You mean. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it, I, I could see that. I could see how um, like there's the comics might look more like a processing or like a present just, depiction or interpretation of what's around and then collage gets so much more abstract that it's like you're calling yeah. for a lot more collective memory to make it make sense. I, I think it's also um, maybe the it's less constricted which I kind of sure, with yeah. what you're, you're saying about being the abstract stuff like um, using more of 
What are the words that I want here? <laughs> I, I really love I love what she's doing right now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's stunning. Exciting. Like it's it's crazy. It's I'm not a person who's particularly attracted to collage, but I see that and it just feels right. It's yeah. just like that that is perfect. I don't know. I don't need I don't even need to know what it's saying. I just know it feels perfect, and then I can ponder it for as long as I want. Now, it seems like you have an easily. Um, really nice, tight, clean style, um, which you can easily do a full comic like that and be extremely readable, but you don't, which I, I really appreciate. Um, you'll do points where you'll get, like, you'll allow your frustration to show through the thing. You'll have, like, it getting really rough. Um, and I'm really interested in that kind of stylistic choice not to stay this, like, consistent I yeah that's interesting um I mean I'm I'm glad to have someone appreciate that because um the way that I approach it is never like do I have to be consistent or what am I trying to do uh and can it fit with things I've done before it's more just like each issue of the comic has some very deliberate points to it things that I need to discuss that um, I'm collecting and arranging in a way that they serve each other and the comic itself just needs to serve those points and, and get the, the meanings across. Um, <clears throat> so when the style changes, it's specifically because it's serving those messages. It's just, this is something I need to throw in here so that you really get what I'm trying to say. And it doesn't, I, I don't really look at it as as a continuous thing, even though it always will be because I'm, I have my style and that's just what I do. But yeah, the, the changes are there, um, always very intentionally and always like trying to just fill out the experience of whatever, whatever meaning there is. Mm -hmm. There will be a lot more of that. <laughs> I'm like, as, even as I'm planning like the next few and I know, you know, I know where everything's going, like, um, the way that issue nine is going to look, for example, is, very very different than the way that like issues one and two will look and there's a really specific reason for that and the way in which it will play out is very like yeah it's all very intentional um that's exciting because like your work like it looks if you just did your your basic like line work it's so appealing that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> like i read it and it's like it's really smooth uh just like it flows nicely, and so, like, to kind of challenge yourself artistically. Oh, nonstop, yeah. I mean, this is all a challenge for me. Like, it's so awesome to hear people say that my line work sounds, it looks smooth, or that they like my aesthetic, because I'm just, like, I couldn't do it any other way. Like, I don't know. I'm not a technically uh, talented person. I drew a lot as a kid, and then I totally gave up on it, because I just found that the way people wanted me to draw when they were training me was so frustrating. Yeah. And the reason that I like doing this, and the reason that comics was a revelation, is that it was just blowing that stuff up. Like, I can, I can do whatever I want, and it's for, it's not for the purpose of someone saying, you need to draw this right now so that you get better at this, and then you just are good at that. I'm not interested in being good at anything. I'm interested in saying things. Yeah. So I'm just trying to say things and just mashing my way through it as best I can. So if I'm achieving that in a way that's also visually appealing, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when you started the series, um, 
did you originally intend for this to be something where you'd be doing, you know, you're talking about the ninth issue. Um, did you see this being like a long form project or did you see kind of, I'm going to do a story about this point in my life? Mm -hmm. Oh no. I mean, it's, uh, it has always been a story about the injury. So, I mean, when I started it, I, I was assuming that it would end, that the injury would recover, you know, um, so I knew that there was a sort of finite element to it, but I also knew immediately, like right from the day that I decided to stop talking, it was like, this is a huge subject. This subject is, and it's the reason that I was compelled to actually make it. Like I find, I struggle with depression and anxiety and uh, a lot of like self-abusive thought patterns and stuff. So um, coming to comics and like being away from it for so long actually was a lot of just fear about getting it done and what do I really have to say that's worth going through the process of making this thing? Um, being aware that being able to make art is an extremely privileged position to take. And if you're going to take it, use it responsibly. So, yeah, I was just seeing how big the subject was um, and how many people it could conceivably touch and how many of these subjects that I feel strongly about um, could emerge through it and are so just directly linked to it. Like there's not a lot of abstraction when I'm trying to apply it to something I'm thinking about. It's just, it's a very simple connect the dots situation for me. So then um, I wasn't seeing it as long form necessarily. Like I wasn't prepared to do something ongoing mm -hmm. and I, cause I know where the series ends. Like even though there's no recovery, I know where I'm stopping. Um, I never saw it as something that would just kind of go on forever, but I did see how much I had to pack into a small space which is why I decided to go with issues because it's if I were to try and think about um, an entire finished work and with the list of things that I want to include in all of this, trying to tackle all of them at once is just yeah. immense. Like I couldn't do it. it. That would be also enough to just sort of take me out of the place where I could, can, I could finish something. So I, yeah, I broke it down just to like, I'm going to tell these short stories also because if my style does need to change, it's not going to, break people too badly they're not going to be confused by that it's it's very it's very easy for me now at this point to like see how I could just remove one story if I felt like it wasn't working and redraw it or put something else in its place or not even remove things but just add things along the way because there are these natural breaking points um and I, I will have to probably do that when I compile everything which is going to happen you know who knows when but the the point is now just to make sure that each of these issues is its own encapsulated like clean start to finish achieves the things that I want, um, entertains people, like brings them into the story. And then that each one is doing that successfully is the only thing that I'm focused on. So I sort of, yeah, like I, I saw the extent to which it could go and then I broke it down so that I would actually be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, if you don't have a lot of comics in your belt to go and try and do a graphic novel is that sounds terrible. I don't know, just, <laughs> Does it sound enjoyable? No, right? It sounds like it would take a lot of the joy right out of it. Um, which isn't to say that this is a purely joyful process for me either. Like, it does involve... The, the challenges that I present myself are there to, to like, force me to do things that are hard. And so, you know, some days I feel so excited that I think I kind of did what I meant to do. And I, I did it in a way I wasn't expecting because I had a few days before that where I was just, like... Yeah, just just totally clouded, maybe beating myself up, trying not to at the same time as trying to actually put lines on the page. And like, you know, that stuff is really hard. And I had someone the other day um, 
send me a message. It was really lovely just to say, hey, I finally got around to reading these issues of the comic I hadn't read yet, and I really enjoyed them, but I feel so bad telling you that I enjoyed something that came from your pain. And uh, I know, and I was like, I have no problem with that. Like, in telling the story to someone else, they said, well, every artist should be congratulated that way, that I'm, I'm sorry I'm enjoying something that comes from your pain, because, like, it is, it's hard. It's like anything. Well, the interesting thing is, like, I don't, some work you can see is very cathartic, and I, I don't feel like your work is necessarily cathartic. Can you explain that a little more? <laughs> like, cathartic, like, um, I gotta work through that pain. This is the shit, I'm putting it into my work. Okay. And I don't really feel that the same with yours, where mm. it's more, um, kind of an experiential process. I, yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, I mean, and that's, and that's what my intention is getting it done. Like, I think the cathartic work doesn't necessarily have the level of, um, like pre-planning to it. That work that I see that's, that's more cathartic seems to be someone doing the art in the moment of, or, or not necessarily in the moment of, but like really just kind of sitting with that pain and like working it out in this way where I... I work through my pain on my own and then come back to it later and say, like, what happened? And yeah. then when I'm asking what happened and and feeling resolved about it on my own, then I go, like, well, what about that would be valuable to other people? Or what are the things that I want people to know about that experience? Not just, here's the, all the experience and figure it out for yourself as I'm also figuring yeah. it out. Like, uh, that would be too big. I would not, I don't think I could... Um, I could really convey all of the things that are happening to me when something is really with me. So I I need that reflection to say like, okay, this stuff was just, you know, egoist bullshit. And this stuff was, um, you know, specific to some event that actually has nothing to do with my voice. And I was just feeling bad about it and it made everything else worse. Like, I don't need you to know that stuff. That's really just me and my life. But I do want you to know the ways in which that pain, uh, changed my perspective on this thing or uh, gave me an experience here that some of you may have had, some of you may never have, and you need to be aware that it exists and know that either you're not alone or that other people experience this and you can share some compassion for it. Like, yeah. Tell me a bit about the, um, the idea of kind of accessibility and, um, disability and, um, kind of being in spaces Um, because it seems like there's a lot of kind of resolving of like what does accessibility need for yourself Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth of course yeah (laughs) no I know and that's that's a constant issue Um, I had a lot of experiences of people putting words directly in my mouth and it's just got to be okay with that on some level like um, yeah accessibility is so much about people's attitudes when you're around them. Like there's um, people with physical disabilities who I don't share. I don't share the experiences of people with physical disabilities because as far as um, moving through spaces, I'm able-bodied. But in in creating any kind of space for myself, uh, having a reaction by somebody that doesn't I don't know, that doesn't just consider that they need to give me a little bit more attention than other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I 
I tend to feel like I'm not actually asking that much of anybody um, by being around them silently unless they really feel I'm asking a lot of them, in which case they're kind of shutting down my accessibility right away. Because if they feel that way, if they feel that I'm inconveniencing them in any way... That's their shit. It really is. And it's also... But it, but it affects me directly. Like, it's yeah. just, you know, all you have to do is turn your head and you've blocked my accessibility to you. Uh, you know, if I'm... Because if I'm not speaking and you're not looking at me or you're not looking at the paper that I've written on, then I... Don't exist. Like I can't contact you unless I have you know the ability to reach out and touch you and say like come back here, come come look at me again. Um, so yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of that. I'm finding myself um, having a difficult time with people around me saying the word lame now because they don't realize how it refers to um, someone's inability to move through spaces the way that they do is a bad thing. Um, mm. And it's odd that, like, in my recent uh, job searching, I've found that it's more, it's much more useful, it's comprehensible faster for me to describe myself as disabled than it is to say I have an injury. Because whenever you say injury, people assume there's a recovery and that yeah. that might come soon. And so maybe this is a temporary thing where we only have to work around your voice sometimes. or And sometimes it's true, but, like, for a time and then things will be different and normal. Yeah. And, like, the expectation of that, I think, is damaging because that's what created the attitude of, like, oh, I don't want to be inconvenienced by this. Um, so, I mean, I'm not... I, I wouldn't say that I'm very knowledgeable about accessibility issues. Um, I'm happy that I've, I've recently gone to the graphic medicine conference that took place in Baltimore at the end of June, and I met a few people there who identified me, actually, like, they're they're deep into disability activism or, or policymaking or something, mm -hmm. and they were presenting on their experiences with that, but then came to me and were like, you're now a person who I see as someone who's speaking in a way um, for this type of disability, yeah. and then also just for that attitude shift that, um, yeah, that they're experiencing. Yeah. One of the things we do at my, my day job, which I don't talk about often on air, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, we're doing a thing on um, kind of, understanding the difference between um, physical disability and social disability and cultural disability or cultural accessibility and social accessibility. Yeah, well, absolutely. And like it's, um, accessibility is a nice word because it, it is beyond the, the disability um, connotations that people yeah. have that like, I don't want to say stigma because it's not necessarily a stigma that's a problem all the time. It's just like using the word disability gives a sort of box within, um, or a box around things that people would think about are, you know, contained there. And then there's like, or, I mean, <laughs> you can almost, yeah, like to say that someone is disabled and to say that they don't have access to something and to say that they're oppressed by something, like all those things, they flow so so closely next to one another into one another so um i mean that's i guess that's where i feel like my work is more is more like to think about the ways in which um you can have a voice or not have a voice in society and and what that means on all of these different levels like i don't i have to tackle each of those things kind of specifically in a small way um you know per issue just one or two of those things because looking at it all so much is like it's this really really huge issue mm -hmm. i really appreciate the work that you're doing and like yeah coming in here and getting the brief on you know what exactly it is and and hearing all these wonderful words come out of your mouth <laughs> peer support and like anti-oppression training i was like oh it's beautiful it's amazing 
So I'm kind of, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to present people with um, alternative perspectives as a sort of primer for getting into the more, like, yeah. the uh, the more everyday specific, like, ways in which that we, you know, push each other, silence each other, make space for some and not for others, um, approve of some things and disapprove of others implicitly or explicitly. Like, it just happens so much. And I'm much more observant now as a person, um, in general, but especially when I'm not speaking, that, yeah, I'm just, I just try to watch very closely. It's, it's an interesting thing to go to, to kind of grow this understanding of more of what accessibility means. And it's not about what do I have to do? It's more like what, how do we make it so more folks are able to mm -hmm. get involved? I'm not good at the lingo. I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I were, yeah, if I were really, if I were really engaged with this activism, I think I would get the lingo down really neatly. But there's also a lot to be said for um, being able to describe around those things without the the words that they would use, because that in itself, like the tyranny of language, like labeling anything excludes other things that may still be a part of it in some way. So trying to trying to give people um, the experience that I'm that I went through and then that I'm I'm trying to facilitate through the comics as a way of like getting away from language because the language is so limiting and it's not that drawings aren't but hopefully if you're hopefully if you're just experiencing it as like a person encountering situations um, and less as a person trying to educate themselves about you know the abstract you know the the list of do's and don'ts like it's it's hopefully more powerful that way. I found it to be that way in my life that I, my experiences obviously um, impact me very strongly where other people's experiences as described to me, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's hit or miss. I don't know. And your comics are at, is it georgesdumb.tumblr? Uh, it's georgesdumbproject.com. Yeah, and it is a Tumblr, and I think... That might be hard for people to figure out writing down because it's George's, but there's no apostrophe, obviously. And I don't we'll know. have a link on the website. <laughs> there should, yeah, there should be a link. <laughs> um, now, speaking of Tumblr, um, you're also involved or involved in TCAF. Mm -hmm. There, what was your job title again? Yeah, I. So uh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we try to sound as fancy as possible at TCAF all the time. Uh, I was the guest services coordinator this year, which was a totally new position. Like, I, I've been volunteering with TCAF since 2008, but on a very slow incline of responsibility and involvement. So, you know, I started just, like, volunteering for an event or two, and then being a general volunteer on the floor and directing people to where they can get water and where they can find, you know, who they want to see. I'd probably... Brand past you know, absolutely unquestionably <laughs> most people have who've been to TGAP in the past six years and then this year I was running past people as I was trying to do my yeah. job just from place to place it was comical uh, just the the number of times I would see someone literally while running and have to wave and go like sorry like you see you later I can't and um that was a good experience I really really enjoyed being more involved in the festival this year and the guest services coordinator position was so it's so new, we were just trying to figure it out. I ended up doing uh, programming the Word Balloon Academy, which was our brand new professional development day. Um, 
yeah, just like a, a full day of free programming, both in the sort of business self-employment, you know, being mm-hmm. an artist uh, in the real world kind of way. And then in the creative way where it was, you know, someone, yeah, someone showing their process on doing something and hopefully, hopefully everybody comes early next year so that they get to experience that. Cause it was fantastic. I was so happy with how that went and it can only, you know, only keep going better. So everybody should come early, uh, at least a few days before the weekend. Come on. <laughs> it's just, there's so much cool stuff. Um, so I was doing that and then also being just like a, a accessible person to guess for whatever they needed. So meeting a lot of international guests and just getting them to the right place and giving them their itineraries and just making sure keeping them company. That is an impossible task. <laughs> Do not give me that responsibility. <laughs> um, no, no, it's more like, you know, uh, Renaud Delise came in and like didn't speak much English and I have enough French that, you know, he needed someone to talk to about what he was doing. And it's just like, yeah, that's my job for an hour. I need to just hang out with Renault and figure out, you know, if he's settled <laughs> what he's going to do. Um, yeah. And then just running around doing whatever needed to be done and tabling for the festival, which was great. Like it's, it's actually so strange to be behind the table because it's just like, I've been feeling so responsible for how this goes for the past several months. And then I get here and it's like, nope, now your job is just to sit down, sell your work, like smile people, write them notes, <laughs> that's it, <laughs> take some money, get out of there. Like it was so, yeah, I mean, I guess it was a nice like break from all of the <laughs> worrying and running about. So you're at the, at shows, I noticed on Twitter, you've been like looking for people to bring you notebooks and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cake, I saw. Oh uh, yeah. I, I wish that hadn't happened, but I did just run out. I just ran out and, and people are so nice to, uh, to run over to my table and deliver things to me. <laughs> yeah. I should be more prepared for that situation, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it, tabling with that voice is actually not very difficult. It's really, I mean, the thing I guess that's difficult about it is roping people in who don't already know what's going yeah. on. But really, it's like seeing me not speaking to you, but trying to engage with you is enough of a pitch already, kind of. It's like, you know, someone, some people are put off just going like, whoa, that looks hard. <laughs> like, I'm just going to not, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just not even going to look. And that's too bad. But I, I figure it's the same number of people as would be just disinterested for you saying hello generally. So yeah. the people who come in, I get some really interesting... It's a crapshoot. I know, yeah. <laughs> this year, though, I met a woman who um, who had previously lived in Toronto and was deaf. And really, like, when I, when I was st- sitting behind my table and she was looking at my neighbor's table and not speaking, because I guess she's never heard, she's never learned how to use her voice despite, um, yeah, the, the fact that it's fully yeah. technically there... Um, she wrote to them, she was writing to them to understand her because not very, very many people speak ASL, which is also a reason that I haven't really learned much of it myself. Like, I did just out of curiosity's sake um, and would still really, really like to learn. But uh, anyway, so she was in the position that I imagined I would be, even if I had learned, where most people you encounter don't speak it or understand it. So she's writing to people. And then my neighbor grabbed me and was like, look, she's writing too. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I have to talk to this woman. So we had a, a written exchange, which I actually have in one of my notebooks that, you know, I keep everything that, uh, not everything. I keep most of what I write down um, because it's just such a bizarre, a bizarre thing to happen. How could I not? And uh, yeah, she was sweet. She was talking about how wonderful Toronto's disability activism community is and the deaf community is huge and strong and very, um, positive and supportive, and so I obviously don't identify as deaf. I can hear perfectly well, but um, 
I'm really, really curious just to to engage with the community a little bit to figure out like how they feel about what I'm doing and how it intersects with how they live yeah. and just the little the little ways in which we cross over and share experiences. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool. Well, thank you for coming down to my office, Georgia. Not at all. While I get you're... to walk through a bunch of Vancouver I've never seen before. Yeah, while you're right downtown, you don't get much more downtown than, yeah. than here. <laughs> cool, yeah. I'll probably spend the day wandering a little bit more. Uh, reminder, folks, I've been talking to Georgia Weber, and she'll be in um, on Wednesday at mm-hmm. Floating World, and then on the 6th at Fanagraphics, and then on the 8th at Lucky's. Um, Lots of cool folks. I know in <laughs> Portland you'll have um, Lucy Bellwood and yeah. Virginia Payton joining you there. And then yeah. anyone in Seattle? Uh, no, Seattle's just going to be me. We're just going to hang out for the, what they described as an urban barbecue, which is like uh, hanging around with, I imagine, like chips and pop and maybe some, I don't know, some other beverages. If it's at the Fanographic store, um, expect there to be beer and uh odd stories from larry that's great (laughs) such a fun event yeah no it's gonna be fun everybody in seattle should come because i don't really know many people there (laughs) and then you're doing a q a or brian fukushima's can do a q a with you at lucky's Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a little i'm gonna try and insert um an optional silent portion to that too um which i did at at my event at tcaf this year where if you would like to volunteer to go silent for a while um, we'll bring that into the discussion at the end, but what's planned is for Brian to sort of interview me a little bit, um, and then I'll sign stuff and talk to people. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again for coming down. Yeah. Thanks for having me.